Welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1-877-669-1292. My name is Howie Silbiger, and this is the Howie Silbiger Show. I appreciate you tuning in. I'm glad to be here with you, and I look forward to an exciting show with you calling in at one 669 1292 That's the number, one 669 1292 Now, we weren't on last night because we were upgrading our, our, um, our microphone died. I'll just be honest with you. My microphone died. And so um, it took me a while to get a new microphone and to test it, to set it up, and to make sure it works. But now everything seems to be working okay. You could hear me. I know you could hear me. I could hear you. So if you call in, I'll be able to hear you. You could hear me and everybody is happy. And that's really the way it should be, right? We should all just be happy. Happy that I'm here. Happy that you're here. Happy that the show is on the air. So um, people have been freaking out, uh, especially Trump haters. They have been gleefully freaking out. Over the fact that uh, that Donald Trump decided to meet with Nick Fuentes, a leading white supremacist. This just proves their point that Donald Trump is a white supremacist and, su- and, and supports white supremacy because he had a meeting, he had a dinner with Kanye West and his white supremacist, Nick Fuentes. And that just proves everything. It just proves the last six years that Trump was a liar and that he was a white supremacist, and that we should all just just forget about Trump and all the good stuff he did because he's a lying white supremacist who has Jewish children and Jewish grandchildren. That's what we should all believe, according to my lefty friends, who have gleefully been posting up time and time again over the last few days that Trump is a white supremacist, and this is definitive proof that Trump is a white supremacist. But they all failed they, they all failed to post up the TMZ uh, audio, which, play, which when you play it, plays Donald Trump saying that uh, condemning Kanye West for bringing Nick Fuentes, this white supremacist, this terrible person, this Holocaust-denying white supremacist, to dinner at Mar-a-Lago. He, he condemned him. He condemned the the, uh, the the idea of white supremacy. He condemned Kanye West for bringing a white supremacist to his to his house. He claims that he did not know that Nick Fuentes was a white supremacist. And to be honest, he is, is it might be true, because before this story broke and before my lefty friends, my Trump hating friends, decided to uh, to publicize the story and to and to and to, and to post everywhere and to. And, and to, to tag me in a hundred different posts about Nick Fuentes visiting Donald Trump, I had never actually heard of Nick Fuentes. I had to look him up. I had no idea who Nick Fuentes was. So that's about as, as famous as Nick Fuentes is. Meeting with Donald Trump and the Trump haters actually uh, jumping on the bandwagon and condemning Nick Fuentes has made Nick Fuentes even more even more popular than he was before. Not that I think he was popular. I have no idea how popular or unpopular he was. But here is the TMZ audio. I want you to hear this. 
today on the TMZ Podcast. TMZ Podcast. Welcome to the TMZ Podcast. Harvey Levin here. And Jason. So we're going to talk about two things today. I want to talk about Balenciaga, and I want to talk about, I'm not sure whether the headline is Donald Trump or Kanye West, but we're going to talk about that. Okay. So let's start with Balenciaga. All right. Apparently that wasn't cute properly, so uh, I'm sorry, but uh, I was going to play you the audio of Donald Trump. Today. All right. Stop that. I was going to play you the audio of Donald Trump uh, condemning Kanye West, but apparently that um, that wasn't cute properly. Oh, well, it was worth a shot. Uh, the um, So when I when I pointed out to at least one of my lefty friends who was gleefully posting about Donald Trump that he condemned uh, he condemned Kanye West and he condemned this whole thing. The answer was, well, it took him three days. Now, these are the same people who forward the conspiracy theory. It's a continuous conspiracy theory that Donald Trump said that there were good people on both sides of a Nazi rally. That never happened. These are the kind of people who forward all these conspiracy theories. And then they call the other side, the conservative side, the side that may or may not support Donald Trump, but the side that disagrees with their point of view. They call them conspiracy theory fascists because, you see, anytime they call you something, that is generally what they are doing. So if they call me a conspiracy theorist, then in general, they are the conspiracy theorists. They're the ones committing that crime. So, so that's the general rule. So, so it's interesting. It's fascinating to me that uh, that so many years. I mean, what, what are we now? Two years after Trump left office, six years after he got elected, that there are still people out there who care about Donald Trump and care about uh, about who he hangs out with. I know he announced he's running for president again. You don't have to tell me that. Somebody just messaged me. Well, he announced he's running for president again, so he's relevant again. I'll give me a break. Uh, I won't believe that Donald Trump is running for president until he actually runs for president. I don't think he's going to run. But that's just my own personal opinion. one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 That's the number to call. Get in on the conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. TrueTalkRadio.com is the official site of the Howie Silberger Show where we, um, where we, we have a 24-hour radio stream. You can download the app from any of the app stores, the True Talk Radio Network app. can be downloaded from any of the app stores, and um, and you can listen to all sorts of different shows that air on True Talk Radio. Uh, you want a full schedule of stuff that airs on it? Feel free to go to truetalkradio.com and click on the uh, schedule button, and uh, it'll be there. It's all there, right there, right there on the, on the schedule button. All right, so um, there was a health official recall of a bunch of bagels from a kosher bagel store in Montreal. And I posted up the health recall because I tend to do that. I have thousands of followers on Facebook and on Twitter and and on various different um, various different social media app, uh, social media sites. And I tend to post up uh, all sorts of weird stuff, all sorts of different stuff. And one of the things I post up all the time is health warnings from the government. Uh, especially when it comes to kosher food, because not everybody gets to see them, and if somebody doesn't see it and gets sick over something that they that that they could have avoided, uh, I would feel real guilty because I knew about it and I didn't post up about it. So I always post up these uh, these these things. Or if a company was kosher, and then is suddenly not certified, I'd post that up too, just to inform the community because uh, this is what I do. 
Uh, I defend and I inform the community about different things that have happened. So, uh, Cold St. Luke Bagel, which is located on Caldwell Avenue, uh, had a recall of a batch of bagels that they released. So, so probably a couple of thousand bagels that they put out. The health department went in and they inspected and they found a problem with the oven. Now, the owner of Coats and Luke Bagels, Seth Eliyahu, uh, said that the oven, uh, the oven was degrading. It was, it was been there a long time. It's an old oven, and it's very hot in the oven. And uh, the oven was degrading, and some of the uh, plaster or some of the mold, the molder in between the uh, the bricks, fell onto bagels or potentially fell onto bagels. They're not even sure if it did or didn't. And the health department felt a little more comfortable recalling those bagels than than letting people eat them. So, so even in the health recall, the the, the uh, wording is, look, even if it doesn't look damaged or it doesn't look tainted or it doesn't look spoiled, don't eat it because there might be some plaster in there. That's, that's, really, the, that's really the problem. Plaster is probably not that healthy for people to eat. Uh, so I posted it up. And as always, and this happens every single time I post anything up about a local business, I get tons of messages after I post them up saying, Howie, how dare you post that up? You're going to ruin the guy's business. Howie, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? How dare I? If there's a recall of food, a health recall, how dare I post it up? Look, in this case here, the oven was degrading and he didn't know about it. And then it, it happened. It was an accident. In this case, he was accidental. The recall happened. They called everything in. Uh, and, and that's it. But there have been other cases where restaurants have been extremely dirty. There have been other cases where uh, where, where machinery wasn't cleaned properly uh, while making delicatessen and listeria was uh, was in the delicatessen. There, there's been other cases where, where there have been recalls and, and all sorts of other things that have happened in businesses, kosher businesses, Jewish-owned kosher businesses. Should I stop telling people when things happen? I don't think so. I don't think that if somebody intentionally doesn't clean their kitchens and they're running a food business, I don't think that um, that is beyond the case to, to, to inform people. For instance, there was a bakery. I'm not going to name the bakery, but anybody who's been following anything will know which bakery I'm talking about. There was a bakery where rats were found, dead rats were found on baking trays. Now, I, I, as disgusting as that sounds, and it is disgusting when the health inspector comes in and starts inspecting a kitchen and finds dead rats on a, on a baking tray, I, I would be a little disgusted by that too. And they found work boots uh, standing in the flour. I, I'd find this disgusting too. And this is food that we eat from, from a big bakery. Uh, I would want to know about that. I would definitely want to know about that. Now, I understand that every time we publicize something like this, every time we talk about this, it could affect somebody's business and it could affect somebody's livelihood. And that's never my intention. Is to, I would want to take away somebody's livelihood. But at the same time, if you're running a food establishment and you're not bothering to follow basic health protocols, like don't put your boots in the flour, then maybe you deserve to lose your business. Maybe you deserve for people not to buy from you anymore. We all trust. It's, it's just simply a matter of trust. When we walk into a restaurant or we walk into a bakery and we buy food product, or even walk into a supermarket and buy food product, we trust that that food product was made and manufactured in, a, in, a, in an environment that was appropriate for that kind of manufacturing. 
we, we, we trust that the people who manufacture the food are following the rules of manufacturing, following the rules that the health department lays out so that we don't get sick when we eat the stuff. Now, when we find out that they're not and that they're cutting corners and they're not cleaning or, or, or they're cutting corners and they're not doing something they should be doing, then that should erode our trust and that should affect somebody's business. Now, I'm not saying the case of Kosaluk Bagel, we should stop buying bagels from Kosaluk Bagel. I would never say that because it wasn't his fault and it was only one batch of bagels and they recalled him, gladly recalled him and they replaced him or, or refunded them. So I have no issue with Kosaluk Bagel because that wasn't a health issue uh, per se. It was, it, was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a technical issue. It wasn't, it wasn't negligence. And the second they found out about it, they hired a contractor to come in and fix the problem. They closed down their shop and hired somebody to come fix the problem. And that's the sign of a responsible business owner. Recall the food that was tainted or the food that potentially was tainted. Close your shop, fix the problem, and then reopen saying, hey, we fixed the problem. Please come back and, uh, and enjoy our bagel. Perfect. He did it perfectly. Buy the book perfectly. That's the way every business owner should solve the issue. But unfortunately, that's not always what happens. In the case of the bakery that decided to put boots into the flour and dead rats onto their trays, onto their baking trays, they didn't even close for a second to clean up. They hired some cats. They bought cats, and they put cats in the place. And the cats chased the rats. And that was their solution for cleaning the place up. So even after being fined by the health department, being closed down, well, they weren't closed down, but being fined by the health department, being publicized that they were fined by the health department, the health department releasing exactly what they found, which was disgusting, this place still remains in operation till today. And I guarantee if you walk in and take a look, it's probably as dirty as it was then today. The question is asked, and it's, it's a question that's been asked for years, and I've had this discussion with many, many people. Why is it that a lot of kosher places, I mean, it's not so much today as it was, let's say, 20 years ago, but why is it that so many kosher places just don't clean, that, that, that they're always dirty? And I, and I hate to say it because, uh, because I, I advocate eating kosher. I, I think it's important for people to eat kosher. I think it's important for us to, to maintain our traditions and to, and to follow the rules that are set out in the Torah. So I think it's important for us to eat kosher. But why are so many kosher places disgusting? Why is that the case? Now, now, like I said, today it's a little different than it was 15 years ago and 20 years ago. There's a lot more places today that are clean and that are running properly and that, uh, that don't take advantage of the fact that, uh, that, that people eat kosher and this is it and you're, you're stuck eating it. No matter what they serve you, you're stuck eating it. They take advantage in other ways. We'll talk about that in a second. But they don't take advantage of, uh, with cleanliness. Thank God. Thank God the kosher places have cleaned up. Because it was well, it was it was pretty disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I worked in a lot of them. And I could tell you that, you know, some of them were filthy. Filthy is an understatement. If you took an entire can of uh, an entire bottle of, of cleanser, of, of, of high strength industrial cleanser, you couldn't get the dirt off the floor of some of these places or the dirt off the equipment of some of these places. And I can tell you there are a couple of caterers today that, that are pretty much the same way. 
that that some of their some of their equipment is filthy. They don't clean it. It's disgusting. We eat this stuff. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two is the number to call. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Get in on the conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show, right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Love to hear from you. Give me a call. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. So they they don't mess around with uh, cleanliness anymore. Thank God, most of the places I'd say a good ninety five percent of the kosher establishments uh, are live up to basic cleanliness rules. And, uh, and we'll be able to pass a, legitimately pass a government health inspection. Thank God. And, and that has a lot to do, by the way, with the uh, Vadaer signing a deal with the Quebec Health Department and, and, and using their mishkichim, the, the kosher supervisors in these places, to help clean the places up, to help guide the owners to help clean the places up. So kudos to them for doing that. They got a huge government grant for, uh, for, for participating in that, and kudos for them for actually following through. And cleaning up a lot of the um, a lot of the messy, dirty places establishments that that used to exist. Now, when we talk about kosher food, the biggest complaint that I ever hear is the cost of kosher food. That kosher food is so expensive. I've had people tell me it's so expensive I can't afford it, and I can't afford it, so uh, I don't eat kosher. I've had people tell me that that you know they have a choice between kosher and non-kosher. And kosher is twenty percent or thirty percent more, so they're they're not going to eat the kosher. It's it's just on and on and on. Some people tell me that kosher food is disgusting. I don't know how it could be disgusting. A rib steak's a rib steak, but they tell me kosher food's disgusting, and so on and so on. And this is what I hear constantly and continuously every time I talk about it. Now, when we talk about the cost of kosher food, what amazes me more than anything else. And this amazes me every single time I have a conversation about the cost of kosher. The thing that amazes me the most is the um, is the assertion, the, the 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 insistence that some people have that the cause of kosher food, of the price of the high price of kosher food, is the vadir, is the rabbinical council, because they have a mishkiach and they have to pay the mishkiach. And that's what causes the, the, the tremendous price of kosher food. Now, I, I have this argument all the time, and, um, and it's not like I like defending anybody. I don't work for the, uh, for the rabbinical council. I don't work for the Vadaer. I, uh, I do not have anything to do with them, really. It's not much. And, um, and, and I still defend them continuously because I, I think it's unfair. I think it's unfair to blame the Vad for something that's not their fault. I, I think that when we think about the cost of kosher meat, let's say, everyone always assumes that it's the, it's the cost of koshering the kosher meat that, that makes it expensive. But that's really not the case. And once you realize that the case of uh, kosher meat and the cost of kosher meat, once you realize that the reason kosher meat is so expensive, at least in Montreal, is because there's one company, essentially one company, controlling the meat supply, and they could charge whatever they want. They could make whatever profit margin they want, and usually kosher meat is marked up about 800%. So nobody ever goes to blame the butchers for being greedy. I, uh, You take a look at the houses they live in and the cars they drive, and you realize that... Uh, 
that they're making a, a lot of money that I'm not making. I don't can't afford the houses they live in. I can't afford to drive in the cars they drive in. I'm not making that kind of money. If I sold a product, I wouldn't be able to mark it up 800%, 900%, 1,000%. They have a captive audience. One company controls the meat supply. All kosher Jews have to eat kosher meat. They sell to the other butchers. They control the market. They control the price. They control the markup. Now they sell to the butchers. The butchers have to market up themselves, and the, the price keeps uh, keeps escalating. So I was looking. I, I was doing a um, I was doing a family dinner the other night, and I was looking for meat. I needed to buy some beef. I was looking for a chuck roast in particular. Now years ago, chuck roasts were the cheapest meat you could buy. It's the meat they make uh, mincemeat out of. It's not really a uh, it's not really a good t- tender point point of beef. It's 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 really a tough meat. That's the kind of meat I needed for for what I was doing. And I went to the store and I was shocked, like literally shocked by the price. Uh, at one point, at one one you know years ago, you'd go in and buy chuck, and chuck would be the cheapest meat on the counter, twelve thirteen dollars a kilo. Yesterday, I went to buy chuck, and I ended up paying fifty three dollars a kilo. $53 a kilo for the cheapest cut of meat on the counter. The cheapest roast. $53 a kilo. It's unbelievable. It's shocking when you think about it. So I wandered over to the non-kosher meat counter. I wanted to see the difference between kosher meat and non-kosher meat. The price difference was $2. So one has to think that Maybe the non-kosher meat the meat manufacturers wisened up and they they decided to match the kosher prices, or the cost of meat has gone up to uh, to an extent where everybody's charging the same price, which is probably the case. It's probably the case that a kosher meat uh, that the price of beef has has skyrocketed, so so everybody's charging the same price. But that's not necessarily the case with chicken. Years ago. I made the argument that kosher chicken should not cost more than 20% more, shouldn't cost 20% more than non-kosher chicken. I was standing in line, maybe, maybe 10, 15 years ago. I was standing in line at a, at a supermarket, and there was, I was holding the exact same package as the guy in front of me. Just my package of meat, was, my package of chicken was, um, was kosher, and his package wasn't. But it was the same cut, and it was the exact same amount of, uh, of everything in there. And when he rang up his, his package... It rang up at like $8 a kilo, $8. You had to pay $8 for the package. When I rang up my package, it was $19. And I asked a question, actually on this show, when we were still on Radio Shalom, I asked a question, why is kosher chicken more expensive than non-kosher chicken? It doesn't make sense. The process of killing the chicken is a little different, fine, so add on a little bit for that. The process of koshering the chicken is a little different, so you can add on a little bit for that. But when you think about how many chickens are, are, are slaughtered and you think about how many, uh, how many chickens are sold and you realize that the price difference should not be that great. It shouldn't be a huge price difference like we're paying now. I mean, I see non-kosher chickens at 99 cents a pound. You're never going to get a kosher chicken for under 249 a pound. That seems like a lot of money, a big difference, Two and a half times the price. 
for what? Why the price difference? So I, I did a show on this uh, 15 years ago. And the owner of the kosher chicken company, Marvit, uh, called the station and said, how dare him talk about chicken prices on the air? He has no idea what he's talking about. He had a tizzy. He, he went totally nuts. How dare him? How dare him? And so uh, I did the natural thing. I invited him to come on the air and explain to me why kosher chickens were so more, much more expensive. Now, it was 15 years ago when I made that invitation. I'm still waiting for him to show up. He said he was going to come. He, yeah, he'd come. He'd talk about it. 15 years later, he never showed up. He never showed up because you can't justify this price. You can't justify the cost of kosher chicken. It's unjustifiable. So he didn't want to come on and feel like a fool, so he didn't come on at all. And when you know that Marvit produces the only is the only kosher chicken producer in Canada, well, there's two of them now, but Marvit was the only kosher producer in Canada, and you know that if you go to the States and you buy Marvit chicken, you could get Marvit chicken imported into the States, you could buy it in the States cheaper than they sell it in Canada. So tell me that makes sense to you, because it makes no sense to me. one 1292 is the number to call, one 669 1292, get in on the conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show, right here on the True Talk Radio Network, 1 1292. Coming up after midnight, we'll have Political Hitman right here on the True Talk Radio Network. I will host Hit Political Hitman both here on the True Talk Radio Network and in Israel on Israel News Talk Radio. So please, uh, you know, set your alarms and um, feel free to join me at midnight. For political hitman. So, so these things annoy me. And I guess we're doing a show tonight about things that annoy me, but those two things annoy me greatly. Uh, jumping to conclusions and trying to force your political opinion on other people and the cost of kosher food. This, these two things are really, really annoying to me. Uh, what annoys you? Uh, there must be stuff that annoys you too. I'm sure there is. And when you think about it, does it, do you really get annoyed by it? Or is it just an inconvenience? What annoys me is that the cost of kosher food limits people in, on whether they can keep kosher or not. If you have a couple of kids and you have a regular job, you can't necessarily afford to spend hundreds of dollars on, uh, on beef and on meat. You can't afford it. 100 bucks a week, 200 bucks a week is a lot of money. A lot of people can't afford that. And when you can buy the same meat non-kosher for half the price, the temptation is there. Now, I say the temptation is there because I, I, never, I never fell for that temptation. Uh, I just uh, decided if I wanted meat, I'd have to sacrifice something else. But I guess when you have a lot of kids, the sacrifice is too great and you don't have much of a choice. It's very sad. It's very sad. I had Rabbi Emanuel, he's the exec director of the Vadeir on the show six years ago, and I asked him, I asked him straight out, I said to him, why can't the Vad do something about the price of kosher meat? This is the biggest complaint that we have. Why can't the Vad do something? And he said, we're not the, we're, we're the, we're the police of kosher, we're not the police of prices. It's a free market society. You can't tell people how much they could charge. Now, there are ways that they could do it, but who wants to open up that can of worms? He doesn't. I can't say I blame him. So is there a solution to this problem? Is there a way to solve this problem? Unfortunately, unless a whole lot of kosher meat suppliers open up, a whole lot of kosher meat producers open up, 
There's no way to solve this. You're going to pay $80 a kilo for smoked meat. For no other reason, but they could charge you that. It's quite sad when you think about it. All right, join me after midnight for a political hitman here on Israel News Talk Radio. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. I'll see you after midnight, and I'll see you tomorrow right here on truetalkradio.com.